my first episode of Lost that I saw was the series finale. And so I saw it and then went back and got to fill in all the blanks. And I feel like that's what it's like preaching after Easter. Is that it's like, he already rose, we already know it, and now you have to go backwards and kind of fill in all the blanks. And so as we jump in there, um, I see this as a beautiful thing, talking just with your pastor, talking with Russell, hearing his heart, hearing about the move. I think these, this chapter really um, illuminates a lot of what this looks like. It illuminates a lot of your mission. It illuminates a lot of uh, what's happening in and around your church and with near town and in this whole area. And so I'm just excited to, to jump in. Um, and your pastor inspires me. Incredible. I mean, this morning, I was sitting at Starbucks about 6 a.m., just kind of reading and just spent some time. And he texts me and says, hey, um, running a triathlon this morning. And just wanted you to know that I'm praying for you. And that inspired me to get a smoothie instead of a croissant. And so I feel like we're on the same kind of workout level right now. Um, I drank it, and I, I even felt bigger. Like, I just was drinking, and I was like, this is, I got a small, so I felt bigger. And I'm sitting there just going, this is, we're, we're together. I feel like I'm running a triathlon. And so I love him. I love talking with him. I love praying with him. Hearing what's happening is just incredibly inspiring to me. So let's jump into John 7, and here's what I want the freedom to do today. We're going to kind of just talk in narrative form. We're going to talk in big picture, 30,000 feet, what's happening, where's the movement, what's going on, Um, because in the end, it talks about them going to arrest Jesus. And so as we're moving forward, we, we celebrated this, we talked about this, we kind of dwelled in it last week with Good Friday and Easter, so now we're kind of filling in the pieces. We're kind of going back and seeing what happens. And so um, in John 7, the first nine verses, I love this. It, it cracks me up what happens is there's this feast of booths or feast of tabernacle or feast of indwelling, three different words that they would use. And it was this huge celebration. It was one of three Jewish celebrations where they would go and they would all camp out outside in these huts. And it reminded them of of their forefather when they were in the wilderness and dwelling in the wilderness. And so they would go and stay in these huts. And it was a week-long, just massive celebration. Everybody was outside. Everybody was there. And so the disciple, the, the, his brothers, the disciples were sitting there going, dude, this is the perfect opportunity to make yourself really big. Like they're all hanging out. They're all going out. You need to go up there and just start walking through and doing your thing, healing people, making miracles happen. Just do crazy stuff so they see who you are. And, and I love this concept because this is what we would do. This is, we'd go, okay, so if I want something big, if I want to roll out a huge idea, I'm going to find something where everybody's together. And I'm gonna, this is why people pay like $4 million for 30 seconds of advertisement at the Super Bowl. Because it's a time that everybody's together, everybody's watching TV, and here we're going to roll out a fancy new, you know, taco with a shell that tastes like a Dorito. So this is what we're going to do. Because we want the whole world flocking to this. We're going to pay millions of dollars because the massive amount of people are there, and it's going to change everything about our company. And so the brothers, the disciples, they're, they're brilliant. I mean, they're going, this is, this is the best place to do it. And Jesus goes, that's not... It's not how I'm going to do it. It's not what's going to happen. It's not how it's going to happen. It's, 
I'm actually, y'all are going to go up there, and y'all are going to go hang out up there, and y'all are going to go be a part of it, but I'm not. And, and I can just imagine that thought. I can just imagine that feeling of going, you're, this is the best way to make this happen. Like, you're not even on the same mission as you. Like, what, I don't get this. You want people to know about you. You want people to see you. You want people to know that you're the Christ, and yet you're not going and making this massive change. And, and, and I even read it, and I thought, wow, that, this is exactly my thoughts so often. And I think as I talked with Russell, and we, we talked on the phone about this movement that y'all are doing over, a lot of times it's like, well, I, shouldn't we just go and proclaim and make a big service and make a big thing and have as many people hear the gospel as possible? And here Jesus goes, no, what we're going to do is I'm going to start with 12. And they're going to relationally talk, and they're going to relationally, relationally reach people, and they're going to relationally, and the movement is just going to happen. Because the gospel is not information, it's relationship. And so right from the beginning, Jesus is going, That's, you're missing it. Because it's not about people just knowing who I am, it's people believing in who I am. It's people giving everything to who I am. And this just, this, this whole concept wrecked me because I thought, I do this too often. I'm so quick when I talk with people to just kind of download all my Christianity information on them. I'm so quick to just kind of, well, I don't get why they don't believe, I don't get why they, and instead of just, hey, let's talk this out. Let's walk this out. Let's just talk this through. And so I can imagine the disciples now going up to the Feast of Tabernacles. They're walking around this area going, this is the best place. Why are we not telling everybody who Jesus Look at everybody's hanging out here. Everybody's here. And yet he's just chilling at home, not doing, I don't, you could just imagine the frustration. And then I love what happens after this. Because in verse 10, the next Several verses, the next several kind of paragraphs, unpacks a ton of questions. And so I want to start by asking you right now, if you will, grab a piece of paper, just something, or in your phone, go to notes or something. And I want you to write down a question that you have for Jesus. And make it your deepest, darkest secret question. That you almost think that it may be irreligious to even ask it that you almost think it may be sinful to even ask it. That you go, but if I, ask, uh, if I ask that, it may send me to hell. I can't ask that question. I mean, he, he, that's going to shock him. Because what I love about these next few sections of Scripture is you have tons of questions thrown out. And one of the safest places in the world to ask your question should be the church. One of the safest places in the world should be with Christians and, and to have spiritual conversations and dialogue. And this is a, this is a story that happened um, to me not too, too long ago that I think launched in. I was um, being a lot like Russell and working out um, and thought, like, once a month I go and knock it out. And I was there and seeing there was like 6.30 in the morning. 
and this guy walks in, and we had seen each other a few times, you know, make small talk, guys at the gym, you know, how much you bench, like stuff that I don't know the answer to. Um, and so, so we're sitting there talking, and I said, dude, you looked whipped. And he goes, dude, I've been out of town, I've been traveling, I'm just, I'm tired. And I go, why don't we push each other today? I'm kind of tired. And so we start working out together, and he, I ask him what he does, which is the worst question to ask, because then he goes, what do you do? and conversation killer. And so we're having this dialogue, and, and I said, well, I do city renewal, and I help people discover God. And he goes, what, what does that mean, with choice words in there? And, he, and I said, well, basically, um, I've realized that God's revealed a lot of stuff, and so I just allow space for people to ask questions about who God is. He goes, what do you mean by that? And I go, what's a question you have about God? He goes, why did he kill my eight-year-old brother? Yeah, that changes your whole workout. I mean, I was like jazzercised, and now we're just like real serious. And so I, I have this now, this confrontation where now it's like this, this got deep quick. And what I realized is as I begin to talk with him, it's a question he's had for a while but never felt like he could ask. It was a question that he had, and he, he, he felt like in a way he respected the church and respected God, but he didn't feel like he could ask it because he didn't know what would happen if conversation got brought up. And he said he's talked about it several times, and he gets the awesome Christian answer of, well, all things turn out for good. He's like, and my brother's still dead. And I'm still bitter, and I'm still angry, and my mom's depressed. And so we have these conversations. And we met, and we just had spiritual open-ended conversations for weeks before we ever got into Scripture at all. And I just I want to say, as we open into having questions, and, and the beauty of having questions is that guy then went and reached four of his friends, and then five of us are sitting there talking at Starbucks, and next week, 15, and now there's over 40 guys within a month that are having spiritual conversations, Scripture, digging in. And it all started with just allowing somebody to ask a deep, hard, difficult question without over-Christianizing them. Because far too often, we lead people to our Christian culture and not to Christ. And so what I love about these questions is that we see so much of the mission. We see why Neartown is moving into the city even more so and beginning to impact that school and the neighborhoods and having spiritual conversations and allowing your deepest, darkest questions to begin to get rattled through. And so what I want to do is look at these few questions that are asked in these verses and then look at what our own heart asks. What, what are, how are we asking these same questions? Because too often we go, that's 2,000 years ago, that's kind of, and we make it so story that we miss us in it. We, we've seen the end of lost, and now we can go, oh, yeah, well, that, well, that, well, they just didn't know. That, well, that ties in. And we miss our questions. So let's start in verse 10 through 13. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. People. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Can you, the questions start, what, who, what is, what's he doing? It, it, he's a good man, no, no, he's leading people astray. But don't, don't ask the questions because we're thin people. 
don't, don't bring it up because we're going to aggravate the Jews. We're going to aggravate the church people. We're going to aggravate the religious people. You can't ask your questions because they're not going to know how to interact with them. And so the questions that they're asking is, what is he doing? Because the, these people, I mean, this is serious. I mean, they're going, he's violating the Old Testament. He's violating the law. He's, he's saying he's the one that the Old Testament's talking about. And so you can imagine the, the anger, the frustration going, okay, if he is him, we got to listen. If he's not him, we got to kill him. That's, I mean, that's a drastic thing. I don't like when people come and go, hey, I have a question. Okay, well, one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to listen or I'm going to kill you. Like, I mean, it's just, they have these two things. What they can't do is meet in the middle somewhere. And so they begin to allow the questions to be asked. And so I even ask, this is the question is, what is he doing? What, what's happening? And I think I asked this a lot in my own life, and I think these are the questions, is I, I wonder why not too long ago I had to watch my, you know, brother struggle in and out of jobs and in and out of money and in and out of, why, what are you doing? He's been faithful, he gives, he, why are you doing this? I had to watch one of my good friends walk into the doctor's office, and he called me and said, would you come with me, didn't know what we were going in for, and as we're sitting there, a 24-year-old, we're having these conversations, and before, and, and I didn't want to ask, we're sitting there in the waiting room, and I can see oncology for a 24-year-old, and they call his name, and he looks at me, and he goes, we leave here today, something's going to be different, and I don't know what it is. And we walk in, and the question that he was waiting for the test results back is, do you have leukemia or not? And as I sat there and he got the diagnosis and we leave and his whole world is changed, I can't ask, Jesus, what are you doing? What, why, why do you say you're good and then this junk happens? Why do you say that it's, and then this stuff happens? What are you doing? And so I'm just like these people are you just a good man who gives me some moral understanding and some groundings and some good stuff, or are you actually doing something? These are good questions to ask him. Let's read 14 through 23. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So they're a question that they're asking. So they begin, Jesus begins teaching, and the Jews, who are very well-educated, begin to go, this guy, he's, he's saying some pretty cool stuff. And again, it's really big, or he's crazy. And, and, and essentially what they're going is, okay, so you're saying some, but you've never studied. You're saying some really cool stuff, but you've never studied. You've never learned that. You've never, we've never seen you in school. We've never seen all that, but you have this insightful stuff. So I sit there and what are they asking? They're going, what authority are you talking with? What authority? Here's our question the same way. If I disobey you, what happens? That's the authority question. 
We can, we can over-theologize it. We can over-kind of, you know, make it a bigger deal. But in the essence of what they're asking is, if we obey you, what's going to happen? If we disobey you, what's going to happen? If we do this, what, what's our end result? If I do this, what's my end result? Because how you answer that question is going to answer the question of, where did you get your learning? If it came from God, the creator of the world, the one that sustains, the one who saves, the one who redeems, the one who resurrected, I have to obey. But if it doesn't, then it doesn't matter if I obey you or not. So in our simplest way of asking this question, we just ask, what happens if I obey you? What happens if I disobey you? And for me, this is a constant dialogue in my head. I don't even want to admit that because it makes me look like, was he a Christian? Like, what's going on? This is a constant tension in my head is what, what happens if I don't go? What happens if I do this? What happens if I don't make this happen? I mean, it's this constant tension in my head. And I would say I was alone if I didn't have constant conversations about this. What happens if I don't do what he says? What happens if I do what he says not to do? Great questions to ask. Amazing questions to ask because Jesus answered them. My teaching is not mine, but he who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent me is true, and in him there is no falsehood. So he begins to say that my teaching, when you begin to obey him, you're obeying the creator of the world. He makes it really big. He begins to say the one who created and sustained and made all of this happen, the one who spun the world into existence, the one who made you, the one who wrote the Old Testament law, the one who did all, that is the one who gives me the authority to talk. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Jesus goes from the lesser to the greater and says, look at what's Happen. Look, look at all that I'm doing. Look at all that I'm creating. I made a whole person well. Look at this hugeness. You all let Moses do it on just a small part of the body, and I heal the whole thing. It's this massive movement of the freedom to ask questions. I want to dwell on that, the freedom to ask questions. Keep on going, 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. 
So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. And him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? That's, a, that's an awesome question. In the midst of all of this, he, he simply asked, when Jesus comes, if this is Jesus, won't he do more? If Jesus is that good, if the cross happened, if Jesus says it is finished, if everything's done, if the cross was enough, why does the world still stink? Why is there still brokenness? Why is there this massive amount of pain in there? It's a great question to ask. If this is really the Christ, shouldn't more things happen? Here's the problem is the church usually answers questions the world's not asking. And and too often when I have these conversations with people and I sit down and I just begin to dialogue with person after person, the questions that come out is usually, if Jesus is so good, why is the world so messed up? In, In all different ways. I sat about a month and a half ago with a 27 year old who about a year before, had lost his wife in childbirth. He was devout. He was in the church. He was serving well. He was, I mean, he was giving. He was faithful. I think he was like on, you know, head track to be like an amazing deacon. I think, I mean, he was on just this awesome path. Every sign was that the pregnancy was great. Every sign was that it was the healthiest thing in the world. He went in and on the day of her birth, something happened and He lost his wife and his child. He was done. He wanted nothing to do with God. If God is that great, he wouldn't do something like this. If God was that awesome, he wouldn't do something like this. He just wouldn't. And the interesting thing is as we sat there, he looked at me and goes, you really, you mean to tell me you want to believe in a God that killed my wife and child? And that's a hard dialogue. It's a hard question, and, and essentially what he's asking is, has he done enough to be the Christ? And the problem is, is that we haven't talked enough about the cross. We haven't um, explained enough. We haven't allowed the cross to change everything about us. Go on to verses 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. This is, Jesus waits till the last day. So he's now gone up to the, so he told them, I'm not going to go up there. They all went up there. They began hanging out. They began talking with people. They began to get to feel Jesus slides on up there in private. He's teaching here and there, just kind of telling people more about him and who he is. And then on the last day, this final day, and on the final day of this feast, what they would do is they would remember what it was like when Jesus made water come out of 
the rock. And so they would, they would come into the place and they would take this, these jugs, these golden jugs, and they would march out to this stream and they would fill it up and they're celebrating water and they're celebrating life and they're celebrating how God has provided in the Old Testament and they would walk in and then they would pour out the jugs all over the temple, all over the altar, and they would celebrate what was happening. So Jesus, in the perfect time, at the perfect cultural instant, begins to tell them who he is. There's so much to see here. There's so much to see that Jesus, in this really strange way, at the very beginning, go, it's not yet time. And we would always go, it's always a time to share the gospel. It's weird. Jesus goes, not yet. I didn't know what to do with that for the longest time. I didn't know how to interact with that. I didn't know what, Jesus goes, not yet, to tell them. It's not, not time, not time. And then comes a week later, and he's like, okay, now it's time. Now it's time to communicate. Now it's time to tell them. Now it's time to speak up. And for fear that Russell will completely disagree with me and never ask me back, I'll say one of the freedoms that I want to give you as a believer is to have spiritual conversations and allow people to ask questions and read when the right time is to tell them who Jesus is. The worst time is when we're in the car after he's diagnosed with leukemia for me to go, hey, let me, let me tell you who Jesus is. He doesn't want it. He just needs you to cry with him. He just needs you to hate life with him for a little bit. He just needs you to be broken with him. He just needs you to just sit in the car and say nothing until he speaks. The guy who is just a year ago lost his wife and his daughter, he doesn't need me to sit there and go, let me, let me tell you about this video, awesome. Let me tell you, like, it's done really good things in my life. He just needs you to honestly just hurt with him for a while. And I love how Jesus says, we're not saying this yet. And then he waits to the right cultural opportunity where everybody's seeing this ritual and they're all into it and they're all connected with it and they're all seeing, okay, this is what happens. This is what it reminds me of. And Jesus steps in and makes these statements. Jesus stood up and cried out, which was completely different from the priests in those days who would sit down and speak. And so he stands up, he changes everything, and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Here's the problem is most of us then go talk to somebody and use that same language. If you want, come and drink, and Jesus will fill you up, and out of your flow, and people, eh, I mean, nobody... Nobody goes, oh, that makes sense. I, I've never put it in those pictures. I need a drink and flow. And yes, I mean, it's just never happened. But contextually, when you begin to walk alongside and you begin to see that if you'll come drink and for the story of the kid with diagnosed with leukemia, I said, let can I, can I introduce you to a different kind of Jesus? Can I introduce you to one in Hebrews where he struggles and he, and he, 
he's neglected and he's hated and he, he has the struggle and the pain. Can, I just, can we just sit with that one for a little bit? Can, can we sit with the Jesus who had to ask the Father, take this cup from, I don't want to do this anymore? Can we sit with the Jesus who just for a little bit says, uh, why, where are you? Why are you turning your back on me, God? And for weeks, we just, months, we just sat in that Jesus, just going, he's, he, that's, the, that's the one I want you to sit with. That's the one I want you to connect with. This is, this is the Jesus that I just need you to, and then when he begins to see, wow, this, and then we can begin to unpack more and more and more. And we see the cultural relevance of Jesus going into a culture, seeing what's happening, and then begin to describe the gospel in ways that fit where they're at. If anyone thirsts, let them come to me and drink. Look at the words of this. Come to me, pursue. There's actually, I have to go to it. Come and drink, participate in this. So it's not come and hear and just kind of figure it out in your head and walk away. It's come, participate, be a part of this. And for those of here that are our believers, that are Christians, that see Jesus as God's son, that he came and died and rose again, and he's coming back to fix this mess. He says, when this happens to you, out of your heart will flow. Out of your heart, this gospel will begin, the spirit will begin just to move out of your heart, and you'll begin to see where it needs to go. The spirit will begin to comfort and lead and guide and clearly give you conversations to have with broken people in your world. This is what's going to happen when you all move into the school and into the neighborhood is you're going to begin to see these conversations begin to exist. And one of the most dangerous things you could do is on day one, go, hey, I want to tell you, this, this happened. I moved into a neighborhood, kind of a shady neighborhood. I'm not going to lie. I'm not. Every day, you know, we had the alarm system and everything. Just in, I don't want my stuff getting stolen every day. Every now and then it's not bad, but just every day was scary. And my mom's husband, day one, day one walks in and goes out to our back porch and he says, hey neighbor, how are you? Hey, this is a pastor that lives here. He just ruined, I mean, I'm like, pack it up, like let's, gotta go find another house. He just wrecked everything. This guy raises up his shirt and goes, I know I got Jesus tattoo on my chest, you know, and so I'm like, sweet, you know, we got a connection. I like Jesus, and you apparently do. And so, but in this, they wouldn't talk to me for months. They wanted nothing to do with me. I, we tried everything that I'd ever read. Okay, take them a basket of, I mean, like, they're like, thanks, put it on the porch, see ya. I mean, they just wanted nothing to do with me. You know, when everything turned was one time I had my headphones in, I was mowing the front yard, and the lady had mowed like a mohawk into her yard whenever the mower died. And I came over and I was like, I know nothing about motors. Mine works, and so I'll just finish mowing your yard. I can't fix it, but I'll finish mowing your yard. And they were like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. So I finished mowing her yard. It's like middle of July, 101. I haven't eaten anything all day finish mowing the front yard, start heading to the back. I'm not endorsing this, by the way, but he, they, 
come over and they're like, we just want to thank you for helping us. And we got you, you know, we got you a Guinness. I'm like, oh, um, no, no, I'm good. No, 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 here, here. And they pops it. And I'm like, I haven't had anything to eat. It's 101. It's like, and so I'm like, I, I can just fake it. And then, you know, just, kind of, and he goes, I collect the bottles, so I'll take it when you're done. I'm like, oh. So situation's getting worse and worse. And so ended up drinking and then going to the backyard and taking about a two-hour break and um, then coming back out and finishing my backyard. But one of the things that hit, after that time, my relationship with my neighbors completely changed. They were open to conversation. They were open to dialogue. They were open to, because I allowed the, con- the, the conversation, the opportunity to take place. Culturally, I let it take place. I never backed down from wanting to engage them. But I didn't over, Christian, I allowed the seven days where Jesus said, now it's culturally relevant. Let's keep going, because they're going to kick me off stage. 40, when they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. When you begin to share the gospel, you're going to have three responses. You're going to have religious is this a prophet? They love the teachings of him. They love kind of how he does life. They love what he says. But that's it. Their heads are huge. Their hearts are small. Their hands have nothing. And too often, I think that's how when we produce churches and we grow really big churches and we see these churches get massive and they have hundreds of thousands of people and everybody's watching them, is we're information overload. He's a good prophet. He's nothing else. The other one is that he's not the Christ. This is irreligious, that they're, they're against it, they're anti it, or they, they just butt against it. And then the last one is that they see he is the Christ. Everything changes for them. They begin to engage. They begin to go. They begin to move. They begin to see things happen. Their hands and their heart grow so much quicker than their head because they they begin to fall in love with who Jesus is and they just want to do things and have And this is what happens in this church. Whenever the gospel takes root, we move over into the neighborhood. We move over into the city. We move over into these streets. and, And our home groups are now just running all over the place. We're having spiritual conversations. And we're beginning to see people come to know Christ. If we expect it to happen just from the stage on a Sunday morning, we're going to miss it. We're going to create a bunch of religious Pharisees. But when you begin to engage and have life-on-life conversations, it's unbelievable what happens. I want to finish with this. If you look in verse 50, So what you have is they're wanting to arrest Jesus. There's this whole dialogue debate, this conversation. And um, they're going, go arrest him. Oh, no, he speaks really crazy and cool. And like, then don't, you know. I mean, they have like this whole dialogue. One guy comes in named Nicodemus, and he has said, who was one of them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Here's where I want to end is more looking at the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a religious Pharisee. Y'all have a lot of them in Houston. We have a lot of them all over Dallas, where I'm from. 
there's a lot of religious Pharisee, you know, just, he goes at night, and this is all of John 3, he goes at night and he says, I want to I ask you questions. And he goes and asks Jesus questions, and then he, he kind of goes away. And we don't, we don't have any conclusion to the story. We don't know, like, I always imagine that he comes to know Christ, and they baptize him, and he's amazing, but we don't have that. Um, and then here, he stands up in front of his people and says, wait, 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 don't, don't kill him just yet. Let's, ask, let's give him a fair process. We still don't have any conclusion. And in John 19, we have where he goes to the tomb, and he helps take care of Jesus' body. We see this progression that all started because Jesus allowed somebody to have questions. Jesus allowed conversation to take place. So what I want to launch us into is we always ask, any time that I'm talking with somebody that says, what does this say about God? What does this say about us? And how do I obey it? What does this say about God? What I love is that God opens it up for a lot of conversation. He loves questions. He loves you to come and just be open and honest and dialogue and have all kinds of dialogue with him. What's it say about us is your questions are welcome and he's not going to condemn you. He's not going to just rip you apart. He wants you to ask them. Safest place in the world is where you can just ask your questions, even if they seem irreligious and ungodly and angry against God. Ask them. Your neighbor needs to hear you ask it because it's going to free his soul. And then the last thing is, what do we do to obey this? I think for one, you find somebody in the room and you tell them your deepest, darkest question about who God is. And say, I've been fighting with this for a long time. Because you'll realize as you begin to be open and honest and you don't just have a religious, beautiful picture that you try to put everything in and yet you have this deep, dark, frustrating question in the back of your mind is you can't really share with the lost world because they can't connect with you. But when you begin to allow the deep, dark question to begin to infiltrate your conversation, all of a sudden, now you have these inroads. Now you have these conversations that can take place. Now you have the gospel that begins to, like Jesus understood the culture so well that he was able to go in at the right time of the feast and share who he was. So I want to open us up for this time of unbelievable questions to be asked. I want to open us up to be on mission when you go into to allow your world, allow the people around you to have spiritual questions and conversations. And the best answer that I give usually is when somebody asks me something about God is, I don't know. It's amazing how freeing that is. But I'll walk with you through it. So I want to throw it out there for anybody that's here. If you have deep questions about God, I may not know the answer, but there's people here that will walk you through it. They'll dialogue with you. They'll allow you to ask it. And our world needs to hear it. And when this begins to happen, you'll see near town change. You'll see your world change. Everything will begin to change. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, I just thank you for being a God that allows us to ask questions and to not understand and to not get and to not um, fully comprehend and to be mad 
and to be angry, but yet you still pursue and love and chase after us. Father, I pray that this will launch Near Town Church and us on a mission to have unbelievable conversations with the lost. That at the right time, the gospel transforms their life. Father, I pray in everybody's heart right now, their deepest, darkest question about you rises to the top. And at this response time, when we take communion and we take the bread, that we can go and sit and just say, this is my question that I'm, I'm frustrated and angry with.